Our sermon passage this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through chapter 2, verse 5. Hear the word of God. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom of, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and give you thanks for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which, having been crucified with him on the cross, having been, having been buried with him in baptism, that we might raise to life the newness of life through faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will increase that faith this morning by your word, that we may be humbled by the power of your Spirit and the Spirit of resurrection, and that our lives may, may be raised from the grave of, of apathy and sin and be raised to new life in your Son, Jesus Christ. Increase our faith and hope in Him. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Now, in God's good providence, He seems to be doing this as of late. Um, this morning's sermon passage... In 1 Corinthians, though not explicitly about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, speaks clearly to the same spirit and to the same power that raised Christ on that first Easter morning. It is an underlying theme, the foundation, if you will, of this passage. It's not just the backdrop of this passage, though. It is also the logical end or the logical conclusion to Paul's argument that the Spirit and the power of God is demonstrated in the humble message of our crucified Christ. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus precisely because through it, our lowly bodies and our lowly souls receive exaltation in Him. Our Lord exalts the humble. In the resurrection of Christ, we see the foolish made wise, we see the unrighteous made righteous, the unholy made holy, and the enslaved made free. In our Lord's death, we see his enemies rejecting the wisdom of God and despising the shame of the cross, unrighteously condemning the only righteous man, desecrating the Holy One, and binding the only one who offers true freedom. To the world, Jesus was just another criminal. A nobody from Galilee, getting in the way of all of their glory. The prophet Isaiah said that he had no form or comeliness. There was no beauty that we should desire him. 
So Jesus not only took on human flesh, which is already a humbling thing, but he made sure that even in his humanity, he did not appeal to the desires of men. Instead, he humbled himself even further in his appearance. Our Lord, under the teaching of men, humbled himself according to wisdom and knowledge. He did not make himself wealthy to gain honor from men. Instead, the Son of Man had no place to rest his head. In all things, Christ was humble and lowly. And Paul tells us the same thing in Philippians chapter 2. We read that last week. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. He became lowly so that he might be exalted. As we learned last week, God uses the foolish things to shame the proud. There is nothing that shames the world more than the exaltation of the Son of God. There is nothing that shames the world more than the resurrection of the one they killed. The spirit and power of God is demonstrated in the humble, crucified, and risen Jesus Christ. And that same spirit and that same power belongs to us. It is given to us. To us who are foolish, weak, and dishonorable. And it brings us into the wisdom, power, and glory of the resurrection life. So Paul starts here in verse 26 by calling the Corinthians generally not wise, not mighty, or noble. Now it seems to be saying that Paul, Paul is saying that they're, they're trying very hard to be those things. They're trying to be counted as wise in the eyes of the world, but the majority of them are no such thing. We need to remember this isn't an insult. In fact, he uses it to their advantage. We we find later that this is part of God's sovereign plan to make the low high places and to raise the low places up to the heights. He says, for you see your calling, brethren. So God has chosen that they be like this, that they be weak, that they be unwise, that they be uh, uh, dishonorable. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So what he's saying is their their weaknesses, their ignorance, their shame are a part of their calling. This is what the Lord has called them to do, to be in front of the watching world. They're They're not counted among the wise of the world. We think about the wise of the world. We know what those people are usually uh, counted as. They are not counted as the wise of the world because they speak plainly. They don't speak with the eloquence or rhetoric of the world, though they try, though they attempt to try, though they seem to gather around people who do speak that way. Or for today, it could be, the equivalent could be that they lack academic credentials, that they aren't the proper teachers, or they aren't those who are authorized to teach. In addition to this, they believe things that are foolish to the world. Silly things. Silly things like the resurrection of the dead. 
Like the law of God, like the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ alone. All of these silly, trivial things that the world looks down upon. All these things that the world hates and scoffs at, they believe. And we experience this sort of disdain more and more each day, even in our own culture. You really believe that God made the world in six days? Right? You actually think the resurrection happened? Science says that that's impossible. You think prayer actually does something? Or I can't, I can't believe you think dragons were real. Didn't you know it's 2022? Okay, that last one's a little bit, a little bit on me. I, I'm a big, big dragon fan, so come talk to me about dragons sometime. But the point is that we're completely insane to the godless world around us. And this is by design. This is by design. It's just another good reason for us to lean into it, to enjoy it, to embrace it. To find pleasure in it, right? To find joy in our own weirdness. This is what we are called to. To the foolish things of the world. Now many are, are not mighty either. Paul is ridiculed for this trait later in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, For even if I should boast somewhat more about, my author- about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction... I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. So Paul got some angry hate mail for his letters to the Corinthians, saying that they're extremely bold, and yet when he shows up, he's this weak and feeble man. His letters were strongly worded, but his bodily presence was the opposite. He was weak. He was frail. Possibly even from disease or from injury. He showed his people in his own life that God calls those who are weak. But the power that we possess is not through physical strength, but by the Spirit and Word of God. And in the same way, God calls the Corinthians and he calls us weak to the world because of our love for one another. Weak to the world because of our sacrificial calling. But that's where true power is exhibited. Paul says that not many are noble. And what do we usually think about when we think of noble? What is meant by this is not many are of high status in the world. Right? Noble, those, those who are esteemed, those who are looked high upon. Who are those in our society. They're some of the most influential, some of the most wealthy in our culture. Now, there are some in the church who are given the blessing of wealth and influence. Right? We see these people every once in a while. And they could be a tremendous blessing to the advancement of the kingdom of God. But that is not the norm. That is not the norm. We're often ostracized in godless societies. And to gain a high status in our culture, one has to often compromise in many different ways. Who's considered noble in our culture? The actor, the politician, the journalist, the musician. But in Corinth, as well as our day, those men and women are not usually great examples of the Christian life. No, the Lord calls those who have been dishonored by the world and shamed. Because our riches are far greater than theirs. 
No, God uses the foolish, the weak, and the base things of the world to bring to nothing the wise, the powerful, and the noble. And he not only uses them, but he chooses them specifically for the purpose of shaming the world. And in addition to this, he does not choose us to merely shame the world. He also chooses weak, dishonorable fools like us so that we do not think too highly of ourselves in the presence of God. Think about it this way. Paul says that no flesh should glory in his presence. If the world esteems us highly, when we approach the Lord of glory and worship, who will we glory in? If the world loves us, thinks of us as wise and powerful and noble, how will we think of ourselves in the presence of God? God uses what the world despises so that we, when we stand in the presence of God, we glory in the one who put us there. We glory in God alone. We have nothing in ourselves to contribute to our station in Christ Jesus. And this is precisely why we are called. This is the whole purpose of the Christian life. To glory in the Lord. That is our purpose. We are called into the body of Christ to be foolish, weak, and despised according to the world's standards. So that we glory only in our Lord. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We are raised from death to life in Christ for the purposes of glorying in the Lord. The glory is for Him and for Him alone. Why? Because He became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now think about the implications of this, saints. That He became for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He didn't just exhibit wisdom. He didn't just exhibit righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He became those for us. Jesus became our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. This is the whole Christian life wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. All that is good in us, all the wisdom we would ever possess, all our holiness, our very salvation in Christ and Christ alone, anything good in us is Jesus. He is the wisdom from above that calls us into the presence and life of God. He is the fulfillment of the law and the justice of God that allows us to stand before God and be declared righteous. He is our sanctification. He is our holy living. We follow in His ways only by the power of His Spirit so that we are made more and more like Him. He is our freedom. He has died on our behalf and has risen from the grave so that we too would die and rise in Him, freeing us from the yoke of sin and death. Now when Paul says, let us glory in the Lord, he's actually quoting Jeremiah chapter, chapter 9. He knew glories, let him glory in the Lord. This is, he's actually synthesizing two verses in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, which reads this. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, 
exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. The Lord is the source of all wisdom, justice, loving kindness, and righteousness. And He is more than just the source of these attributes. He's more than just the source from which all these things flow, but the very things themselves. He is wisdom. He is justice. He is love. He is righteousness. So any exhibition of those attributes in us is a gift of God who gives of himself to us. It is Christ in us and us in him. Therefore, we have nothing to glory in about ourselves. If we are going to glory, we are to glory in the Lord. And this is why Paul then says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now Paul probably did not have a powerful voice. We, we hear in 2 Corinthians that that's probably not the case. In the way he presents himself, he probably wasn't some, uh, some guy that we would, uh, we would be uh, uncomfortable around. He was probably a really hospitable man as far as his demeanor. But he probably didn't have that gravitas that we, we think that he has by his letters. Or the physical gravity that many charismatic men have. And we have many reasons to believe that he was very unassuming in figure. Again, his presence and rhetoric were not where his authority lies. It's not where his power resides. He was not like the philosophers who met in schools and theaters to win over students with their impressive words and rhetorical skills. He relied solely on the power of the simple Christian message. The message of Christ and Him crucified. The Swiss theologian Hans Rudi Weber famously says this, quote, It is in the nature of the cross that it cannot be preached elegantly and brilliantly, only in weakness. End quote. The cross of Christ is absolutely unbelievable to the proud and self-important. And Paul cannot preach this message of the crucified Christ with elegance and brilliance to somehow dazzle you into believing it. The message of the cross demands weakness because the message of the cross is offensive. The very center of the message of the cross is about the humble being exalted. The message of the crucified Christ is more than just the crucifixion. It is the message of the whole ministry and work of Jesus. So when when Paul says that I remember only Christ and Him crucified... It is not just the crucifixion that he's recalling, but all of Christ. All of Christ. Our great God and Savior took on frail, weak flesh. He took on that which is, by definition, weaker than him. And he endured the suffering, the temptations, and the cruel death of the lowest men. The death of the cross. That he might be exalted to the right hand of God in heaven. The spirit and power of God raised Jesus from the grave and exalted his name above every name. So Paul says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, 
but in the power of God. He preaches a simple message, but a message with power associated with it. It, is, it has power because the Spirit of God accompanies the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same Spirit and same power that raised our Lord from the grave. The same Spirit and power that raises us with Him. Our resurrection into Christ Jesus is not due to, to lofty speech and worldly philosophy but the Spirit and power of God alone. All of salvation, the salvation of our souls and the eventual salvation of our bodies, all of it is of the power of God and not anything in us. St. Paul knew this all too well. In his greeting to the Roman church, in Romans chapter 1, he uses similar language. And I want to read that full greeting for you this morning because I think it's important to see his reasoning. Paul a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Amen. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus was the declaration of his sonship and power of Christ according to the spirit of holiness. And this same spirit and this same power is given to us when we are raised from the graves of life through faith. This is the power of the message of Christ in him crucified. He uses the foolish things of the world, the weak things, the shameful things to bring to nothing that which glories in itself. And apart from Christ, we have no form, we have no comeliness. Apart from the mind of Christ, we have no wisdom. And apart from Christ, we have no righteousness. Apart from Christ, we have no holiness. Apart from Christ, we have no redemption. And if this is so, if this is true, and it is, what do we have to glory in but to glory in the Lord and the Lord alone? Our Lord Jesus was despised by the world. He was mocked in his weakness. He was dishonored and shamed. But this is precisely the point. Because in his shame, in the foolishness of the cross, he demonstrated his spirit and his power. That though he was exposed to death itself, death could not hold him. For how can death hold life himself? And similarly, how can a perishing world hold the life-giving church? It can't. It can't. And the humble spirit and power of God declared in the simple message of Christ and then crucified will topple empire upon empire until the whole world is transformed from death to life. Death cannot hold life. This is the spirit and power of God. And we are a part of this divine foolishness. Our Lord has called us to take up that task. That task of being fools to the world, of being weak. Those who would sooner lose their physical life than deny their everlasting life. The task of being shamed by the world. We are called to put our trust in the power of God rather than the wisdom of men. And this calling will be put to test more and more over the next few years and over the years to come 
and over our children's lifetime. This task, this calling, will be put to the test. Are we willing to take the same treatment our Lord took? Are we willing to be counted among the fools, among the weak, and even the dishonorable? The power of God raises sinners to life in Christ. The power of God raises our corruptible bodies and transforms them into incorruptible bodies. The power of God transforms relationships from broken to whole again. The power of God turns enemies to friends and whole nations to bow their knees to Christ. Do we live like this is the case? Do we put our trust in the power of God? Do we turn in our foolishness to Christ and His church for wisdom? Do we turn in our weakness to Christ in prayer and the church for help? Do we turn in our shame to Christ for forgiveness and the church for counsel? The world looks on the message of Christ and Him crucified as foolish because it hurts. We push back at the cross as much as we can. But where does our faith reside? In the world's ways or in the power of God that raised Jesus from the grave? Let us be determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Understand and know Him, because in Him is a life that death will not hold. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.